This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Second Variety, a short story. It's a long short story by Philip K. Dick, first published in Space Science Fiction, May 1953. Um, this may be one of the very first stories I read by PKD. I don't think it's very similar to a lot of his later stuff, especially his novels, um, except in theme. I, I, I think the way it's written and the characters are pretty, um, pretty different, but there are a lot of themes that connect. Um, but I think it's also a really good story, even though I'm not a fan of the writing. <laughs> That makes yeah. sense. It's got that very I, pulp feel. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very structured to be a story to sell to magazines. Mm-hmm. I, I missed his um, his humor and sort of yeah. fun with it. Like I couldn't really feel that in there. There's no humor at all. I think. Yeah, that, that sort of playfulness he usually has isn't yeah really anywhere in it. Yeah, yeah the, it, they're much more – it's written for the market. There's a lot of stories l- like this that he's written that um, they just – they don't – it's – Philip Kinnick writing like military guys is not <laughs> strong suit, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Yeah, well, can, uh, a lot of his 50s stories are like that, right? Like he's uh, sort of uh, got that – he's yeah, a little bit I mean, tentative or – There are a few of them that – sort of fall into that genre where it, it is a military guy or a scientist or something, but they're not usually this extreme uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to it. There's a, a very similar story, which I quite like, also turned into a movie uh, called Imposter, if you guys know that one. Um, it's is that, about... Is that the one uh, Ben Affleck? No. Um, the movie version was actually supposed to be a short film, and then they later expanded it to a to a, a feature length um, and not improve the story. Uh, but it starred Gary Sinise, actually, um, as the main character. In, in Imposter, um, there's a war. There's a scientist. The scientist is uh, working on shield weapons for the Earth, or I can't remember if they're fighting aliens. I think they're fighting aliens they're rather fought- than Russians. Yeah, they're fighting aliens. Yeah, they're fighting their aliens and they're, they got a shield weapon for the Earth. Um, but the aliens have a new technology that they send to Earth and use to, um, uh, what? Make replicants. Make replicants, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, turns out that the main character is a replicant. Um, but he doesn't know that because he's had his memories, uh, implanted and he replaced the guy he thinks he, he thinks, Everybody thinks he's a murderer, and he is, but he doesn't know that because he's been had his memories replaced with the guy he murdered. Oh, huh, this sounds great. It is is very structurally very well done and smart, um, and this is kind of like that from the other point of view. I think it's it's uh, so I, one long time ago somebody asked how many stories by Philip K. Dick had androids in them, and I. Didn't think there was that many, but I think now I just forgot that almost all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Even if they're like throwaways, like the book we were discussing last week, throwaway references uh, 
uh, Android people just as just as a background thing that we never actually mm-hmm. see them. So it is apparently an abiding theme in Dick's work, whether whether they're foregrounded or backgrounded. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, I, I think, a really interesting take on androids because they start off as as little robot balls, right? And then they turn into little boys and wounded soldiers and then beautiful women. Yeah, yeah beautiful it goes through women. a kind of natural evolution process. Yeah. And, and, a, and a bifurcated one because it's clear, it's made clear by the end of the story that the they're fighting each other now as mm-hmm. well as well as yeah. the humans. They're, they're their own worst enemy. Just nothing nothing is monolithic, nothing remains unified. The center falls apart and they've now gone to uh fighting each other. It really made me think of um yeah, just like evolution a lot and like Richard Dawkins self esteem kind mm-hmm. of thing where like they the little creatures are self replicating and that just leads them to start wanting to survive and they've got their own little niches and then they're trying to push each other out and oh, absolutely. Really also cooperate with each other, right? So there's teams. Yeah. Right, all the Davids mm-hmm. are on the same team, and the wounded the soldiers are on the same team as the uh, as the David. It looks like, and then, um, yeah. So there, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff, and uh, I rewatched the 1995 movie adaptation called Screamers. Um, you guys watched it too, right? Yep. Yes. With Peter Weller. Yeah, I liked it when it came out at the time, and I can see how it's aged. Unfortunately, the special effects of this age badly. Oh, yes. <laughs> However, um, what I don't think I noted at the time is how very, very faithful it is to the to the book. the The major exceptions to the book changes are, or the story changes are, this a the they're on an alien planet instead of Earth, mm-hmm. um, which kind of follows from the fact that the bad guys are not Russians or Soviets, I should say, right, anymore. They're, right. They're just two two different blocks. Right. There's the and the it's it's some like Star Wars Trade Federation or something. Thing, the Alliance right? and the NAB or something like that, yeah. Right. And yeah, that's right. It's sort of unfortunate, but uh given that it came out in ninety five, the Soviet Union's gone, they can't just suddenly sh- crank up the Cold War again, because at the at that time, nobody would have bought it, right? They would have said, this movie's outdated. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though it's probably it would have worked better today. Yeah, now it would be perfect. Says, oh, Ru- Ru- Russia, Russians and Americans fighting? Okay, that move on that. Exactly. Yeah. Russians, or as Philip K. Dick called them, Ivans. <laughs> I found the Ivans pretty sympathetic in this. Um, yeah. You know, even if most of them are... Uh, turn out to be androids or whatever mm-hmm. um, oh yeah i found them pretty sympathetic they're just like uh they're just like our our main character who even keeps his name in the movie um i think they upgraded him he's a colonel instead of a major uh but other than that it's pretty pretty similar and it they add um an extra guy um to have him to have someone to talk to right yeah. on his journey and to explain things, which is handy, but um, other than that, uh, and the and the twist ending, the, the, which yeah, the double twist is, ending, yeah, the double twist ending. Uh, I think that if you were a person who had read the story and then watched the movie, you would appreciate it because you 
it's not exactly what you expect, but it's something that Dick would have been happy with, I think. Right, because yeah. I hadn't seen it originally. This is the first time I saw it, so... Oh, really? When, when, yeah, I somehow had missed this. Or I had seen it and I completely forgot about it. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure either way. But yeah, when, we're going to deep spoilatory over here, folks. So when he slashes her hand and there's blood, and I thought... Okay, they're changing it from the story. She's not really a rep. She's not really the second variety after all. And then, mm-hmm. whoops, surprise, she is. Mm-hmm. And that she's even more human after all. And, th- and then we get that weird uh, two versions of her fighting, which I'm not sure I buy. <laughs> I'm not because uh, we have we we haven't had the uh, laid down the emotional or uh, or uh, character beats to explain why they why she would have turned against... It was a different time. It was a different time. In the 1990s, all you had to have is a woman and a man in a room. Um, They (laughs) give each other meaningful looks. (laughs) She takes a bath, sponge bath, and and they're in love, okay? (laughs) I want want more. I want want some more, darn it. I want some (laughs) build-up. If they had built it up a little... That, that, that we understand why she turned against her own kind. Then I could have bought it, but there was re- what? What does what does she do? She gets a cigarette off of him, and she has a couple. That's all it takes, Paul. Oh, That's all it takes. This is not the reality I know. I've <laughs> another reality. Movie reality. Um, so Philip K. Dick did actually. Uh, read the script, didn't he? Did you see that on? A, I on think the... that's right. Um, yeah, there's a quote where um, I. He read it to the end, and I'm not sure exactly if it's different from the movie that we saw, but the quote that I wrote down is that he read, he loved it, he loved the script, and he read the last line, and he emitted a tremendous sc- a shriek and fell over backwards because he was so happy with it. <laughs> so <laughs> so the script has been languishing for 15 years or more? Because the it movie's 95, yeah. and Dick died yeah. in the early 80s, so Wow. He says this ending is sensational, better than my original story. Um, yeah. a winning script. So, um, the, I, I don't know if it's better than his original. It's more movie than his it, original. It's less but nihilistic. What, I mean, the ending, but what is, ending is he happy about? So there's two, three endings, right? First, they are about to go off in the ship together. No, there's only seat for one. Um, she wants him to go. Because she's in love with him, <laughs> um, and he says, "No, you have to go." And then uh, she says, "I'm an android, or whatever it is." And then um, he gets to, he goes as the two girls fight uh, after he punches her in the face or whatever. <laughs> and then um, on his way to Earth, there's a little uh, he he's kept hold of David's uh, robot teddy bear. Yeah. And it's threateningly, menacingly making little movements as a mm-hmm. little puppet. And Teddy that, Ruxpin and that, conquers the world. That's right. Teddy Ruxpin <laughs> conquers the, the Earth. And I think that Philip K. Dick might have liked that part the best because um, it is... He he has a thing for like little kids and toys. And uh, he has a whole story. We I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast that is mm-hmm. about toys taking over the world. So. Yep. Um, I, I do you think that's the ending, or do you think it's just the the twist where she falls in love? I'm not sure. That does feel the twist where she falls in love. It kind of felt more Philip K. Dick to me somehow because his androids. Well, it reminded me of like his androids that get 
the human feelings and don't know that they're androids, you know, that kind of, they're feeling compassion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or at least like more, they're feeling kind of human. Like in this one, their humanity was that they were, that they started fighting each other and <laughs> yeah. were sort of yeah. really aggressive. It actually, I, I think that we can pretty much be assured that it is the teddy bear because, uh, on the Philip Kiddick fans, it, it, it says the last line. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much the last scene of the movie is just the little teddy bears squiggling around as they fly towards Earth. Yeah. Unless and the then, screenplay changed between when he read right. it and when the movie was made. But yeah. But then, uh, whoever's making these notes, uh, says, uh, the most faithful of the two original story of any PKD based movie and, uh, a teddy bear, a teddy bear figures, but, uh, benevolently in that version. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like he was sort of involved in it during the writing of that script as well, right? They were sending him notes and I don't know asking his um, opinion. I'd like well, they certainly sent it to him to to read, anyways. But um, I'd like to point out that the guy, the reason that the script is actually as good as it is, I think most of the problems of the movie are not with the script. I think they're with uh, the fact that it's filmed in Quebec, um, so a lot of the actors are like. No names you would wouldn't recognize except for Peter Weller, um, and, and the budget is not enough. I think. I mean, the special effects are okay; they're 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 all right for the time, maybe. Mm-hmm. But if they just upped the budget a bit, I think it'd be a lot better. Yeah. For a production designer, but Dan O'Bannon is the guy who uh, probably O'Bannon. most. He's probably most responsible for that script, right? Yeah. There's another guy associated with it. But he he wrote Alien, right? He wrote um, Dark a very good. Uh, hmm. <laughs> that that maybe not a claim to fame, but he wrote Alien. <laughs> he wrote a bunch of other good stuff, um, and I think he really got SF, and he really got uh, PKD. Mm-hmm. I do think so. Yeah, I I, I think that I, I I might be pilloried for saying this, but this is a movie that I think could be profitably. Remade today, huh? Yeah, um, they I, I, they I, did the I, sequel. <laughs> no, remade, not 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 not. See, I, I, I mean, today with a decent budget, with a decent cast, ex- expand things out a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, there's a good story here. It's a, I mean, you could even in this day and age probably even go for the original PKD version ending if you really wanted to. Although you could go with this ending as well if you want to. Except for the teddy bear. I didn't care for that because how is the teddy bear going to take over the earth anyway? It can't make more copies of itself. And one teddy bear versus the world. Yeah, my, my, <laughs> the world, not on the teddy bear. I mean, yeah, now well. if I had an artifact where it can make millions of teddy bears, then I could buy the teddy bear being a threat. But a single teddy maybe, bear? No. Maybe he can uh, replicate. Maybe he's just going to go plug into some computer and. Yeah, I think I think the implication is that he's going to do that. Um, that that he he he's going to be able to replicate himself in underground factory, set up underground factories. I mean, that's that's that is the premise of the little movement is that they are going to take over the world, little robot, little little robot invaders, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a fun little twist. I think it sort of you've got this. If you've got a huge budget movie, if this was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, 
you know, uh, 80s movie or 90s movie and it had a teddy bear trying to take over the world at the end, people would not like that because, but because <laughs> it would be sort of a medium low budget movie, I think it's a little more acceptable and I don't think they could keep that ending. But yeah, yeah. O'Bannon. Yeah, go. I was just going to say O'Bannon is, is, uh, he, uh, was co-writer on Life Force, which I think is a really terrific movie. Um, it's also a kind of a bad movie in other ways, but it's a really terrific movie. Um, uh, it's very science fiction based on a science, uh, science fiction novel called, uh, Space Vampires. Um, Total Recall, he's co, co-writer on that. Is There's he? a I lot didn't of, know that. Oh. Yeah, a lot of co-writers on that one. So, um, I think a lot of the good parts are him. And of course he did Alien and a, a bunch of other movies too, but I think, you can see that the script is pretty good because it is so faithful and where it deviates, it's for logical reasons. Mm-hmm. I think. Flush, flush yeah. things out. It's, it flush things out, make things. I, I, I found some of the weird details interesting. Oh, we're going to smoke these little red cigarettes to keep you from getting radiation poison. I, <laughs> I remember that very prominently uh, in my mind when I hadn't watched it for a while. And it's just basically, couple of scenes where they have those red cigarettes yeah. and that's kind of clever and it's sort of it's very much a this is we're in the future this is the medical technology we have and it also allows them to keep all the smoking that's in the original yeah. story right <laughs> which is a sort of a soldier thing anyways right yeah because yeah, even by sure. 95 that's that was falling out of fashion in movies but yeah so yeah. it's and did you, did, you, did you notice the little detail of the game they were playing at the very beginning? Uh, yeah. What was that game? Is that, 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 that that's, that's, that's a, sort of thing? No, it's Senate. S-E-N-E-T. Uh. It's, it's an old Egyptian board game. Back in the 80s, they issued, they, they issued it for the mass market. I remember getting a copy because I recognized the little symbols and the shape of the board. Uh-huh. Like, that's a Senate board. What the heck are they playing Senate on this planet for? Huh. So yeah, yeah I, I thought that I thought that was a neat little detail. I I think there's other little neat details that sort of uh make would make Philip K. Dick happy, like the fact that the the commander, the Peter Weller characters, is playing Bach or is it Bach or Mozart? Mozart, John Giovanni. Uh, yeah, so that's a very Philip K. Dick thing, right? Listening to records of uh long hair music. <laughs> huh. But it actually becomes plot relevant. It it is kind of um well, well, when 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 he's uh when they've gone back to the base and they're uh he's trying mm-hmm. to get in and they says, I want to talk to uh Giovanni and right. and, and, they, and, and they take it straight then he realizes that the base has been infiltrated. So it's pretty, right. so it's, it, it's it, it, that's good writing, right? That's it, that's very good writing. Yeah, it it's not wasted. Um and I think Having him obsessed with that, uh, coin, um, which also comes in later. I mean, it's not as well done. It's sort of not as well done. You know, the, he tosses the coin and then says, uh, throws his glove so we never know what the decision was mm-hmm. on top of it. Um, but that sort of ties into the, him looking at the, um, the, the chips that are in the different claws. Yeah. Or what do they, they call them? Blades, I think. Or, no, yeah, they call swords. swords here, not claws. For some reason, I don't know. Well, yeah, because um, they say swords the world is man's first technology of war, which is not true. The bow and arrow was was um, right. before the sword, but it's a, it's a cool Spears thing. Spears, anyway. yeah. yeah. 
yeah so there there's some there's some good things there and um i think it's a it is a fairly good adaptation and even with the clunky sort of teddy bear teddy rexpin takes over the world ending <laughs> um philip k dick would like that and yeah. uh it was definitely better than i expected like oh, good. when i saw the cover and like a bit of the trailer you know i would never have watched that movie usually <laughs> it just looked like it was gonna be complete rubbish but yeah um, it sort of good. feels like it's in the it's it's like and me too you know after the other philip k dick movies like blade runner and total recall it says oh well me too me too right mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it got green lit probably because of those other two movies but it sounds like the script had been around for a while yeah, uh-huh. yeah. if dick was reading it they had the script been right. around for a long while so um now is the time before we go back to the story where i think we should talk about the the sequel <laughs> the sequel movie and the sequel oh, yeah. story oh john's uh, world yes so yeah you're the only one who watched the sequel movie right right and yeah. i don't it's not i mean i was surprised how unshitty it was i mean it was still really shitty but uh, <laughs> uh they took the original movie seriously and then had to dispense with a few things one of the things that i think was interesting um we find out uh, quite a bit into about halfway through the movie that, uh, the main female lead has, um, reveals that uh, it was her dad, uh, that the Peter Weller character, uh, was her dad and that she's taken her mom's name for some reason so that we don't know that she's connected. Right. And so she's on a rescue mission back to this planet. I want to say LV 386 or whatever it is from aliens. <laughs> But it's uh, Sirius 6B. It's the same planet we were supposed to be on in um, the first movie, instead of Earth, right? As in the, as in the book, and uh, they've they've come there because of a distress signal, and on top of the fact that there's somebody alive on the planet, they also have um, uh, a problem because the star is going to go nova or. The galaxy's gonna go nova, or something like that. What? <laughs> it's not really clear. Failing astrophysics forever. Yeah, it's They're like how do we raise the stakes? <laughs> exactly. Blow up the star. That's right. Um, but really, what's so funny is that it it literally is uh the script from Aliens jammed into the Screamers story. Oh god. Because the way Screamers, uh, well, but it's not that bad because Aliens is a really good script, right? Mm-hmm. It has a whole bunch of elements that you like. So one of the things that they have is there's a crew of people who come to a planet. They come down. They they have to figure out what's going on. There's aliens down there or whatever. In this case, robots that are dangerous, right? They have to. Re- it's a rescue mission. Um, they have a time limit, and um, there's a backstory. And just like in Aliens, there's a, a traitor amongst them, right? Who wants to exploit the the claws for money, right? So what they did is they took the script of aliens and said, well, this is a really good script. What can we do? (laughs) So it actually ties the uh, back to Dan O'Bannon as well, because Dan O'Bannon wrote alien and all the things, the seeds that come out of uh, alien are later replicated in aliens. If you Uh remember, so it actually is a very clever thing to do because they take all the good things that are expanded uh, out from screamers and do the best they can with it. Now, 
the thing is, is James Cameron's awesome, and whoever did the movie, uh, the uh, Screamers, the Hunting, uh, doesn't actually say Screamers to the Hunting, but it should because that would give you the sense that it's, it's as terrible as it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, whoever did that is no James Cameron, right? So they can't make the movie better. One of the things that happens, though, is we find out that um, Peter Weller's character, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's the same as in the story. Um, Hendrickson. Uh, Hendrickson, that's right. Um, killed himself. And the daughter's upset uh, that he killed himself. Um, but we know why he killed himself, because there was a teddy bear on board and he must have discovered it. Right. So he did, killed himself before he landed on Earth. Um and he also apparently communicated some crazy things about this planet. So he, the, the Hendrickson acts as the Sigourney Weaver character from Alien, right? Without actually being in the movie. He can say, there's all these dangerous things down there. Nobody believes me. Um, so they go on a mission and sort of ignore all his advice, right? <laughs> as you do. <laughs> as you do. And so, yeah, it's a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, not really worth seeing at all. However, <laughs> it, it does sort of tie in, uh, surprisingly to the sequel, uh, to the Philip K. Dick story, which you pointed out, Marissa, I had forgotten about that there was one, this John's World. Yeah. And everybody read that one, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, yeah, why don't you tell us about John's World, Marissa? Um, well, I would sum that up by saying it's, um, it carries on from the last story and the, distant future and it's got time travel and a lobotomized boy mm. <laughs> yeah like just the two directions that i would not have thought really uh yeah it's, a, it's, sort of a, it's one of philip k dick's worst stories i think do you think i think so um it's a novelette it says uh yeah it's a little long it's probably a little longer than screamers i, uh, guess, I think story-wise you're right I thought, I thought right. it was kind of interesting. It is interesting. It's definitely interesting. But I think it's more interesting for us now that we've read lots of Philip K. Dick mm -hmm. rather than as a as a story on its own. I think uh, Second Variety works very well as a story on its own. And John's World does not work on its own at all. Yeah, that's true. It, it depends on you having read read uh, Second oh. Variety and it and it basically deconstructing that ending and making it more palatable. A more palatable world out of it through yeah. time travel and changing history, and which kind of sounds feels very odd. I mean, maybe okay, Dick I don't think like it was. His... I don't think it was a, a very like it wasn't a very polished story. Yeah. One, one yeah. of the things that comes up again and again. I mean, there's lots of things I like in it, but one of the things that came up is like, why does it have all these knobs all over it? Right, this their time travel ship. That never <laughs> the turrets and knobs and right. Why is that mentioned? It never comes up. Hmm. Yeah, there were a few, a few little things like that. Like I can't remember the discussion, but at one point, someone says something like, oh, "I feel like I'm the first guy to go down in, a, in the submarine," and then they're like, right. "Well, actually, the submarine was blah blah blah," and he goes into like a little like factoid. <laughs> that's, a, that's a novel thing he does. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, where yeah. He, that's very Dickian. Yeah. <laughs> I made I made a, a a number of notes, just underlining things in John's world that. Um, that I, I said, oh, more stuff for the Philip K. Dick Redderizer, right? Um, and sort of turns that he does in, in stories. You can see how, you know, he's writing it in a session, 
and how this, where the session ends and where the session picks up, right? Between cups of coffee or whatever. Um, the word rigid always comes up, uh, in Philip K. Dick stories, <laughs> right? Funny. From Rube all the, all the way, uh, through. Um, and honestly, rigid uh, and the fact that the, the person who is rigid is John, right? The boy who, uh, I think we've pretty much well established that Philip K. Dick had a uh, autistic kid in his life. I don't know if it's his son. I don't know if it's his neighbor. I don't know if it was him. But there's got to have been an autistic or something like an autistic kid in his life because it comes up so much. Mm. Um, and this whole story is premised on essentially that. And then, of course, as you point out, the lobotomization, right? Yeah. That happens in here. Um, kind of random don't you think yeah well and yeah well maybe we should uh tell the listeners what the story is as well so they're the main characters are trying to go back in time to to find the guy who invented the claws Mm -hmm. the little robots to steal his papers so that they can recreate them in the future not not the claws uh, oh no the intelligent the ai right the brain right the artificial brain yeah Uh, so that they can recreate AI in the future, and instead of having them kill each other, they're going to use them to rebuild. That's Earth. right. Yeah, that's right. To, to to undo the damage done by not not the claws, but the war, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think that it is. You can see why Philip Kiddick sort of came back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a few story, uh, quite a few stories set after nuclear wars and novels as well. Um, and it's not an ideal place, right? Um, even when they're in the novels. They're sort of happy-go-lucky uh, mutants. <laughs> they're still, um, it's still not a great place. It's sort of gray, gray dust and ash and uh, radiation and and pain. Um, so, in the idea of, he has the a line in here about how I think it's in the Philip K. Dick fans page as well, saying how um, technology is neutral, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, so it's the wheel uh, is a good thing, uh, even if it was used in uh, Egyptian um, chariots, right? Mm-hmm. War chariots. Yeah, you can put a wheel on a tank, but you can also put a wheel on a wheelbarrow, right? Um, so it's it's neutral. And the the idea that they're recreating the brains um, of the robots, and how about just not programming them to kill? Right. Right. Yeah, that sounds good. Right. <laughs> they could be as What could possibly go wrong? Right? Yeah. Well, th- th- that's the thing is, um, so if you listen to Elon Musk, right, or a bunch of, uh, so called highbrows, they're all worried about AI, right? It's going to take mm-hmm. over. No. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of, uh, I'm reminded of a couple things in this conversation. I'll, I'll go for the one that just, I reminded first and then go backwards. So yeah, as far as AIs, you both have seen Ex Machina, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, at one point, uh, the, um, the create, the, the creator, um, says, yeah, one, one, one day the AIs are going to look upon, look, look, look at us as we look upon the, uh, the fossil apes in Africa, crude, Upright ape living in dust with crude language and tools, all set for extinction. It's a very <laughs> bleak sort of like, yeah, the AIs are going to, very Elon Musk, the AI is going to come and they're going to wipe us out and they're all going to be what's left. That also reminds me of, uh, the movie AI. 
where, mm-hmm. where basically that happens and yeah, the AIs are all that are left. Um, but going back a little bit, the whole idea of going back in the past to try to get stuff for, for their world kind of reminds me of a much better, more recent series of novels by Wesley Chu. Uh, the first novel is Time Salvager, where you have a crap sack sort of future, but they do have time travel and what they do to try to sustain themselves is go back in time and basically steal stuff to basically keep their civilization going. Mm. Because yeah. the earth, the earth is poisoned and it's, things are not so great, but they can go back in time and grab things from areas which are ready to be destroyed in some of the various wars and catastrophes. And they can basically just keep their world kind of, uh, puttering along. And that's, mm. that's what, that's what they use the time travel for rather than actually trying to change things. They, they just try to use it, try to keep, keep them so smart. Which also reminds me of the John Varley, uh, Millennium. Where they mm-hmm. do the same thing, where they steal people from crashing airplanes to repopulate their crapsack future. So- There's a Philip K. Dick story that actually is very much like that as well. Uh, it, uh, it's very modest in scale, as many of his things are, but it, it's called Captive Market. And uh, it's about, an I think it's an old woman who has the ability to time travel, but in, just sort of uh, psychically, or, you know, naturally. She doesn't have a machine or anything. Um, yeah, I've met people like that in LA. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, but uh, the way she she uses it instead of like you know you know trying to reboot uh, reboot a problem and or change kill Hitler you know anything like that she um, she uses it to make money um, because in the future there's been a nuclear war and nobody has any food or water or anything valuable like medicine that they need. So, uh, she just takes stuff from the local grocery store, whatever she puts in her shopping carts, and then goes home and time travels and sells it to people in the future. <laughs> and they're like the, they're the protagonists. She's the main character, but they're the protagonists and they try and they're trying to find out where she's getting this stuff. And it's it's a pretty good story, uh, but it's so modest that you know it can't be turned into a thing like you know the Terminator, where they've got to go back in time and stop the war before it begins. Which, right. by the way, Screamers and uh, Second Variety, you could totally see that if Harlan Ellison uh, should have got credit credited on the Terminator, so should um, Philip K. Dick, because. Uh, what are the, uh, the, the claws that are the wounded soldier, the, uh, the David, the, the little boy and, and the girl, if not terminators? Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. And, yep, yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. They're infiltration units. That's exactly how it's, how, uh, uh, Michael Bean or, or whatever, uh, John Connor's dad, whatever John Connor's dad's name is, um, Michael Bean's described- the actor, but yeah. Yeah, I don't, I can't remember what the, what the, what the character's name is, but, um, th- that's uh, the description, the future war that we see little glimpses of in the original Terminator, uh, when he's, you know, in a hypnagogic dream state. He flashes back to, you know, his future. That, those are all basically the war that is being fought in second variety, right? Right. There's, there's yeah. robots in Philip K. Dick's, um, description of the claws. Um, there are robots that jump, there are robots that fly, and there are robots that are under the ground. And, of course, those are just the regular claws. Then there's the second variety and the third variety and the 
first variety and the fourth variety, which are all, you know, the T-800 and the T-1000. Sort yeah. Of, uh, they bleed. They had their cyborgs, right? And so it, it all fits in very nicely. Um, with you, you can see that they just, they're not ripping anybody off when they add that, um, the scenes where in, in Screamish where they cut the woman's hand or the yeah. guy's hand, right? Because that's just a natural extension of what you see in here. Mm-hmm. And, um, in, uh, in that other story, Imposter, they even have that same situation where you can't tell if somebody's uh, an android, or I guess in an android's dream of electric sheep, you can't tell just by cutting their hand or even like x-raying them. You have to like, a lot of work to uh, on a cellular level, you know, analyze their DNA almost. Yeah. I, I, I just found an email which I sent to myself to remind myself of a couple things. Um, this also reminds me of the movie Oblivion. Have you either you seen it? Yeah, with, I haven't. How uh, so? Um, well, basically, having duplicates that look and act and think they are people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and for all intents and purposes, you can't really tell them any different. They're in that case, they're clones, but they're manufactured, programmed clones of this alien artificial intelligence sitting up in that big tet thing. And of mm-hmm. course, we've we, we haven't mentioned the. The 800-pound grill in the room, the modern Battlestar Galactica. Uh, the replicants in there are called, uh, what are they called? Cylons. Cylons, right? yes. Cylons, right. and again, some of them don't even know they're not human. Right. So it's like, who's who's who? And some of them start, and there is a, and kind of stealing from screamers, there is, a, in a couple of cases, where the Cylons turn on their other uh, Cylons and side with the humans, and mm. yeah, and, and the uh, the other Cylons are not amused by this prospect. So you you do have factions of Cylons basically competing against each other. So yeah, I, I, I could see how uh, how uh, they uh, may have seen this movie and mined it for some ideas. Hmm. I wanna, I wanna talk about John's world a bit more. I, I made a, a few, like, uh, holy cows and notes, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is not a good story, I think. Uh, it, it, it's not terrible. It's very interesting. Um, but it's overly long. It is rambling, sort of pointless, needs revision. Um, it's done better in other stories. There's another story, um, that I'm very interested in and would like to talk about and see what other people think of. Uh, that has humans go visit a, a long lost colony of Earth, um, on, in outer space and they land on the planet and it's basically the, the utopia that you see at the end of John's world. Um, but it doesn't have all the sort of the baggage that this one has with the, with the lobotomized kid and the, <laughs> the all the claw the backstory and all that stuff but um there's a there's a number of lines that i just stood out to me as these are like that's really that's good philip k dick stuff right there so um i'll read a bit here ryan lit a cigarette slowly go on it all came with a rush more real than anything else like looking through a window a window into another world a real world much more real than this it makes all this just a shadow world, only dim shadows, shapes, images. Shadows of an ultimate reality? Yes, exactly. 
the world behind all this. John paced back and forth, animated with excitement. We go, go a couple pages, and then, um, or a page or so, and then it says, So the visions the boy saw, visions of the ultimate reality. This is very Philip K. Dick. Like the Middle Ages, his own son, there was a grim irony in it. Just when it seemed they had finally licked the proclivity in man, his eternal inability to face reality, his eternal dreaming, would science never be able to realize its ideal? I just love how it's unconnected thoughts that we're getting, right? Mm -hmm. Would man always go on preferring illusion to reality? <laughs> That's very Philip K. Dick. His own son, yes, so retrogression, a thousand years lost. These are all sentences. <laughs> Ghosts and gods and devils and the secret inner world, that world of ultimate reality. All the fables and fictions and metaphysics that man had used for centuries to compensate for his fear, his terror of the world. All the dreams he had made up to hide the truth, the harsh world of reality. It makes me think of that article uh, I was talking to you guys about before um you know we make up stories about about what happened in reality so that we don't have to think about the harsh mm -hmm. harshness yeah. Really. yeah myths religions fairy tales a better land beyond and above paradise all coming back reappearing again and in his own son go on ryan said impatiently what do you see I see fields, John said. Yellow fields as bright as the sun. Fields and parks, endless parks. Green mixed in with yellow. Paths for people to walk. What else? Men and women in robes. Walking around the paths. Among the trees. Air fresh and sweet. The sky blue. Birds, animals, animals moving through the parks. Butterflies. Those, these are all individual sentences. Oceans. Lapping oceans of clear water. No cities? Not like our cities. Not the same. And then we skip another page, and he says, Of course, we'll have to tell James Pryor the actual operation. Timmer reached up to the mid-screen circuit. Don't worry, Caleb. He'll do a good job. Pryor is the best lobotomist, lobotomist the center has. <laughs> and then page cut, right? Page, uh, page break. And then his son's been lobotomized. Yeah. That's very good. Now, what's interesting is that at the end, with... With all that, uh, the ending where they, they find this world that John's seen, right? And that's why the story's called John's World and, or John in the original, uh, Dick version mm -hmm. or Dick title. Um, it makes you think back to that scene where he's talking about, uh, shadows of the ultimate reality, right? Um, but also these guys just basically, uh, they, they fucked with reality, right? But now where do they live? In a sort of a utopian paradise that is fictional. And that there's a real meta thing happening at the end of the book where I'm like, he's talking about this book. <laughs> Have you guys noticed that? Yeah. It, it, it is kind of recursive that way, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, this thing, it, it could, if, if he expanded this into a novel and he had not, um, sort of had to base it on like what I was thinking is um if he was still alive, he would have kept uh, mining his old stories and he would have turned both of these into a, a complete story somehow. Mm. Because he'd done that many times before. But um 
Uh, I won't, I'll re- read the last page of, of John's World. This is turning into a John's World podcast instead of just a well, uh, second, <laughs> it's second uh, variety plus. Second variety plus. Uh, three or four other varieties. Yeah, it's, here. Uh, yeah, it's the fifth variety. <laughs> I mentioned there, there's more than going to be more than four varieties, so this is our fifth variety. That's right. Uh, I'm beginning to understand about John, Kastner m- m- murmured. That's his son. He must have had some kind of parallel time sense, aware of other possible futures. This is Philip K. Dick talking about himself. Yes. Right. As work progressed on the time ship, his visions increased, didn't they? Every day, his visions became more real. Every day, the time ship became more actual. Ryan nodded. This opens up whole new lines of speculation. And uh, if you look at my page, it's like all underlined. It's point arrows and stuff, right? (laughs) (laughs) This opens up whole new lines of speculation. The mystical visions of the medieval saints. Perhaps they were of other futures, other time flows. <laughs> visions of hell would be worse time flows. Visions of heaven would be better time flows. Ours must stand someplace in the middle. And the wi- visions of the eternal unchanging worked. That's a very interesting line there. Perhaps that's an awareness of non-time. This story exists out of time, right? Yeah. Not another not a, world. Oh, I thought you were Yeah, no, go for it. Go but for not it. Not another world, but this world, seen outside of time. We'll have to think more about that, too. I'm also thinking of, uh, Greek oracles and not, not even mm-hmm. just Christian, uh, saints, just, but, but basically prophecy in general is prophecy kind he's of. He's got Greek stuff in here as well, right? It's, he's all over the map in this crazy story. But he's throwing yeah. everything he knows and wants in. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I thought about the story, if you want to call it a story. <laughs> I thought it was, um, when I was reading it, it's like, it's like he just put us on a tour bus. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, come on, I'm going to show you all these things I think about. And we literally like stop off at different times to like have a little, here's a view of my last story and here's a view of like that. And here's this thought. And it's kind of like a little, it's just very a tour. Jazzy, jazzy and, and he's, he says, oh, yeah, and shit, I got to sell this story. So it gives it a plot, right? But, yeah. yeah. And he uh, never resolves that thing with the lobotomized boy. Like, I was like, oh. yeah, but is the boy in the, this future? Does he still need no, a lobotomy? I, is he... I, think, I think we're supposed to think he's, he doesn't exist, right? Yeah, but I was kind of disappointed by that. I was like, I want to see what this kid yeah, is like. totally not resolved, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just Let's dangle. finish off the page, though. There's good stuff here. The time ship landed, coming to rest at the edge of the parks. Kastner crossed to the port and gazed out on the trees beyond the ship. In the books my family saved, there were some pictures of trees, he thought, said thoughtfully. These trees here by us, they're pepper trees. Those over there are what they call evergreen trees. They stay that way all the year round. That's why the name. Kastner picked up his briefcase. <laughs> I love that he's carrying a briefcase. He's going to court. He's a <laughs> Lawyer or whatever. Gripping it tightly, he moved the hatch. Why is he taking the briefcase? There's nothing, the, the papers are gone. <laughs> Let's go find some of the people so we can begin discussing things. Metaphysical things. He grinned at Ryan. I always did like metaphysical things. That's very metaphysical. <laughs> yeah. Philip Kiddick just talking to himself. Yeah, definitely. And also worried about the fact that he might have to get his son lobotomized because <laughs> having temper tantrums or whatever it is. So, there's uh, something very weird get, going on in that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what that. I don't know. Yeah, I like his that you can see his idea of like a utopia as well. It's like we're all just walking around outside talking about the universe. Yep, it's like uh, philosophy. Uh, you know, after class, 
Um, except everybody's wearing robes instead of you yeah. know jack. And there's no no conaps. No conaps. No oh, yeah, the and of course there's deer running free, right? Um, what's so hilarious though um, is that I think that that we're supposed to see this vision as suspect as well. Um, for all he says about technology being sort of neutral, that you can use uh, steel to make swords, or, I mean, this is my words, but you can use steel to make swords, you can use it to make, you know, uh, houses or cars, or you know, it doesn't have to be tanks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the vision that he gives of the of the of the sort of clean utopia where nobody drives anywhere and wild animals roam free through the parks that are the streets, right? That's also an artificial vision in the same way that a dystopia of, you know, grinding uh, robots. That's the other thing about Screamers and its sequel is they're really horror movies, right? That's that's the sort of the the... It's in the original story. It's a little bit in John's world. It's not as much in John's world, but it's completely in, uh, oh, I guess there's the scene, um, there, there's a bit of horror when, uh, the guy who invented the, the brains is burned mm-hmm. to death. That's a really horrific burning. Did you guys notice how horrible it was? Yeah. It was rather visceral. Yeah. It, it was, um, yeah, it's like you, you could see into his eyes as, as the smoke, uh, you know, lifted off of his body, and and then later on they find a newspaper or a magazine that it literally shows that they murdered, uh, well, killed him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was worth it because, and we sort of forget about it because he's got, they've got this utopia at the end, right? Um, yeah. But that's the artificial reality that people are escaping into, and that's why this story sort of works. John's world sort of works. Um, even though it's, it is so shitty, because if he had just tweaked it a little bit more, had enough time to work on it as a novel, we would see that that ending is an escape. They're all escaping into John's world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, escaping the horror of what, what, what their lives are and the horror of what they've done. Because they've wiped out a whole bunch of people who don't exist anymore, but they've also murdered a dude who just, like, you know, was just doing his job. Yeah. yeah. And they murdered him in a horrible way that, you know, if you're a very sensitive person like Mr. PKD is, um, you would want to escape into that reality. So he's he's kind of saying, yeah, we all got to get lobotomized. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. One page, it would have been like, and they, uh, or if they were doing an adaptation of John's role, you know, there'd be a question as to whether they're, they're you know, in an insane asylum sort of drooling enjoying mm-hmm. that last moments of uh reality yeah. kind of reminds me of the ending to brazil mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which when oh. i first saw brazil they had they changed it around so it looked like they escaped and when i saw the real version it's like no that's all mm-hmm. just in his head right so yeah maybe this is yeah if he had dick had rewritten this yeah this would this uh idyllic reality with the pepper trees and the evergreens yeah that's just their own way of dealing with what they've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the thing is, is I live, uh, you know, in a very sort of surrounded by a city, but there's a nature very close by. And the thing is, is nature all, seems all friendly, right? When you're, um, when you're not 
uh, confronting parts of the reality because we're sort we're of just the, visiting. We're the apex predator, right? And we've killed off most of the things that can threaten us. Yep. But uh, just like a couple weeks ago, there was a kid uh, attacked by a bear uh, on a trail very near where I live and, you know, mauled. Um, now, they shot the bear and they uh, tranked the, the cub that it was going to feed the kid to. But that kid's been mauled. And, right. you know, having the ideal reality uh, or the the nice uh, sort of tree-lined uh, roads with no, you know, yellow, beautiful yellow and green fields and pepper trees, um, that's, that's a fake reality that never really existed. You can't really say that nature is, is quote-unquote better than some other thing without actually facing the fact that nature really wants to fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> competing, right? So unless you do kill off all the predators and you sort of keep killing them off and sort of hide the fact from the those people doing that metaphysics, um, it's a fake reality too. The Garden of Eden is a myth. Uh, completely. And and that's why that ending is so suspect, right? And that's why they do lobotomize the kid, right? Is mm-hmm. because he is I mean he if you think about it objectively, the kid is better off. Right. I mean, until they destroy the world completely, you know, and make him not exist. He is better off. He he doesn't seem like very his affectation is bad. You know, he's down. He's quieter than he used to be. He's less enthusiastic, but he's still a person. Right. Right. And the word lobotomy is the scary part, not the response that it's gotten from him. Right. Which is to make those visions stop going, stop happening. Right. They're calling them seizures. He's calling them visions. Mm hmm. So, which in itself yeah. was a long religious ecstatic tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not it doesn't. It's not something that fits into uh, modern society very well, right? It didn't fit, guy, really fit into to ancient society either. I mean, people were either well either cat ostracized or turned into well, freaks. no. That's the city society that like. But if you're like in a a tribal situation, those people are like. They've got a very special position, right? Yeah, the shaman. Yeah, 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 and they they can also leave the community and come back into the community when the visions get too strong, right? And say, you know, you really need to go up to that cave for a while, right? Um, and you see that in uh, even in the show Vikings, um, which is really what, what's so cool about that show Vikings is that uh, it's you know it's sort of retelling this. The mythology of Ragnar Lodbrok, which is sort of, you know, quasi historical, but, um, it recreates, um, Viking, uh, sort of reality really well. I haven't seen it done that well on film. Um, but what's so cool about it is that you can see that they're, they're basically, they're, they're, they're just native North Americans with, with steel because <laughs> their, their beliefs are, uh, so similar. And their real, you know, their their um, cultural values are so similar to so many Native North Americans that it's even the response to Christianity is sort of the same. Um, and I think that that it's it's very cool that they have the sort of bringing bringing that to um, the civilization, right? When you go into civilization, things get weird. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Philip K. Dix, if it's his son who had this issue. It's just so prominent. There's another story by him, uh, called Progeny, 
uh, by PKD, that is. Um, and it's about a kid who can't connect with his father and the father can't connect with the kid. And the, and the son is, um, maybe he's smarter than everybody else or maybe he's not, maybe he's stupider than everybody else. But the father just can't connect with the kid, and that's the entire, that's the whole story. Interesting, huh. and it's kind of it's a little bit mashing time stuff as well, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. that's a good that's a good tie in there, Marissa. So when when you read this, like John's world, you can see okay, he's he's sort of doing what he will do in in novels, and it works sort of it gels together there somehow better mm. uh, because this is still trying to be a short story and fit. A short story does not work. Um, like what everything I like about second variety is the idea stuff. And that's really, it's, it sort of gives you a false impression to me, uh, of what Philip K. Dick's like because he does have, like we were talking about this, I guess last time, how, uh, you know, uh, Philip K. Dick action stories, you know, ends with a guy sitting on a park bench waiting for the police to come get him, yeah. maybe. If he's not crazy, right? Um, but in a story like uh, Second Variety, you know, you've got guys walking around with guns and making, you know, having guns thrown around and shooting little claws. And, like, you know, it's a, it is a real action story. And it, it just doesn't connect uh, emotionally at all. But it's still a very clever story. Yeah. Yeah, just missing something, a little bit of heart or something. Yeah, I'm 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 really glad I got to read John's World just because it's so interesting, not because it's so good. Whereas yeah. I think I think Second Variety is is uh, so good, um, but less interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.